Okay, good morning everyone. Today's shir is going to be about the hafla. And uh, his yard site is tomorrow, Dalit Tammuz. Dalit Tammuz of 1805. So it's his 215th yard site will be tomorrow. Um, just if you remember from a few weeks ago, when we talked about Chaf Sivan and Tach Vitat, we mentioned that, Rabbeinu, that the, first, uh, the first commemoration of Chaf Sivan was for the blood libel in the, the late 11, 1100s um, that Rabbeinu Tam had made a tainus. And we mentioned then Rabbeinu Tam was so sick from that that he was nifter a few weeks later, which was also Dalit Tamas tomorrow, is also the yard site of Rabbeinu Tam. So, um, that's Dalit Tamas. But Nagel in Yanenu, we're t- going to talk about the Hafla. I was able to be at the Hafla's kever two and a half times. What do I mean two and a half times? I was there in 2016 um, on a stopover through Frankfurt. I had a three-hour stopover on a Friday morning on the way back to America from a Europe trip from Belarus. And I uh, had an hour that I was able to make a turnaround and I was able to go to the Beis HaKvaris there in Frankfurt, the old Beis HaKvaris where he's buried, and to be at his kever. And just a year ago, not even a year ago, it'll be in a few weeks, it'll be a year, I was again there. Um, We were on a trip again to Eastern Europe. We stopped for one day in Germany, the first day, and um, actually it was Monday, and Monday is like Sunday in the United States, so Monday the Jewish Museum is closed, and the Jewish Museum is the place that has the key to the cemetery. So we couldn't get into the cemetery. Again, I had been there, but the group hadn't been there, and um, we couldn't get in. We were only to be able to be outside. But Hashkacha had it, that on the way home on Thursday, um, we uh, had a whole delay with flights from Vilna, and we ended up uh, stuck overnight, actually, Thursday night in Frankfurt um, with thousands of other people. It was a crazy time, and uh, we barely made it home for Shabbos, but uh, we were there late Thursday night, and we were able then, actually, to get into the Beis Akvaras and be by the Hafla and uh, the other kvarim that are there in that cemetery. So I was able to be there, like I said, two and a half times. One of the times I was only outside because we couldn't get in. Who was the Hafla? The, the Hafla was a person, his name was Pinchas Halevi Ish Horowitz. There's a f- very famous um, family of Levium called the Horowitzes. The Boston Arebas are Horowitzes. The real name is Ish Horowitz, the man of Horowitz. Because like so many other last names, the Horowitz family originated actually in Spain, in the golden era of Spain. And in the late 1400s, probably by the Spanish expulsion, they left there and moved east towards Poland. And um, they came from a city in Spain called Horowitz. Horowitz, however you say it in that language, but it turned into Horowitz. So when they named themselves, there were no last names in the 14, 1500s. So when they, they named themselves, they named themselves Ish Horowitz, the man that came from Horowitz. And in fact, in Prague, 
there is a actually a, a very old shul that was built, I think, in the 1600s called the Horowitz Shul by one of their descendants, a man named Horowitz, Ish Horowitz. So um, that's their name. The Horowitzes actually call themselves Ish Horowitz. So his name was Rabinchas Halevi Ish Horowitz. He was born in the year 1731. His father was named Rutzvi Hersh Charkover, was a very Chashev, Chashev, Tamlechacham. Charkov is a place in what's now western Ukraine, and his father was a well-known Tamlechacham in, in the area, and he was, uh, and he was uh, born to him. His first Rebbe was his father. As he himself relates, he writes that, My father, He opened up my ears to be able to understand Tyra. Um, that was his first Rebbe. Um, he got married very young. I don't know exactly what age, but it's brought down he got married very young to a the daughter of someone whose name was Rebbe Yoel Halpern. And the way the Hafla himself writes, Asher Kovali Beis Talmud. He made for me a Beis Medrash, Asher Lo Yechzer Boi Koltuv. That I wasn't lacking anything. So basically, again, in those days, people got married as teenagers, especially child prodigies, you know, future Gedolim, for sure got married very young and were supported and lived by the parents or the in-laws. And he says his father-in-law seems it's supported, although... There was a point in his life, I couldn't figure out all the historical timelines here, there was a time in his life life that he was actually very poor, but at this point he wrote that my father-in-law made for me a base HaTalmud, a base Medrash, that I was lacking nothing. And he writes, V'lamadati, and I learned with my older brother, Reb Nochem Halevi. Reb Nochem Halevi was his older brother. I learned with him for about a year, he says, and he taught me Lemigras uleiune. How to learn lemigras? That means to learn quickly, like we call bikios. And ion is to learn in depth. So basically, it seems he taught him how to learn. It sounds like his father opened up his heart and ears to learning and how to understand. But it sounds like his older brother really taught him how to learn. After his older brother got a got became a rav, he writes. So then he says he started learning with his next brother. And his next brother is a famous brother, and his name was Reb Shmelka. The Rebbe Reb Shmelka from Nicholsburg, who is the Hafla's brother. I was Eichet to be at Reb Shmelka's cover as well, in Nicholsburg, which is now in the Czech Republic. Um, so his brother was the famous Rebbe Reb Shmelka. And he says he learned with his brother... And we became connected and bound together with strong ropes of love. Um, and he says, We learned We learned with tremendous, tremendous diligence for many years. It says, he writes the whole Mahalach, how they used to learn. They used to learn the Gemara without trying to think of anything, just to understand Pasha Pshat, and then we delve into it, and then we get into Shulchan Aruch. It says he started off with Hilchus Ksubis, and then he went on to other things as well, and uh, they learned a lot together. And then he writes, um, hazmanim. He says because of certain time-related issues, and he doesn't say exactly what happened and what the reason was, Nisbarda so we broke apart. Now it's possible his brother became the Rav of, of uh, I don't think he was Rav of Nicholsburg right away. He became a Rav 
Um, and that's what happened. I don't know exactly. He writes that we had to, to, to uh, part ways. And we finished on our own. So I guess whatever their plans of what to learn, that they had learned for so many years, he says they finished, uh, they finished on their own. Um, he was first, and it seems at this point, I think he needed Parnassa. So he became a Rav in, uh, in a place called uh, Vilkova, uh, somewhere like western Poland, near what's now what's called Posen, where Bikivega was a Rav. And then he became a Rav in another place, which was, uh, I guess, what we would call Belarus now. It's near Brisk, like Belarus, Polish border, um, was another place that he became a Rav, the Hafla. Um, Lechvitz it was called, so Vitkova and Lechvitz were the two places that he was Rav first. Now, before we continue, there's a very, very, very big, what we would call, I would say, a mavucha, a confusion, about the Hasidic leanings of the Hafla. And I'm not going to go through this in too much depth, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention it. Everyone knows, everyone agrees, I should say, that his brother, the Rebbe Reb Shmelka, became Hasidish, a Hasidish Rebbe. And you have to remember, this was first generation Hasidus, Magid of Mezrich, Talmud of the Baal Shem Taiv. This was very soon um, after Hasidus made its way into the world. Um, so his, they for sure were not born into Hasidish family, everyone agrees to that. And, but his brother, Reb Shmelka, became a Talmud of the Magid of Mezrich and became the Rebbe Reb Shmelka. Hakal Maidim, everyone agrees. What about the Hafla himself? There's a lot of confusion if he also was a Talmud of the Magid of Mezrich or not. On one hand, it would be a very interesting thing for him to then become the Rav of Frankfurt, all the way in Germany, who for sure was not leaning towards Chesidus or anything like that. It would be a little bit interesting to, 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 to know that. Um, the fact of the matter is everybody agrees he was also more of like of a Makubal, uh, like almost like Reb Nassan Adler, who also was in Frankfurt. You know, they daven Nusachari, and they did different things that are Pikabala that now, or later on, Hasidim adapted. You know, Hasidim didn't invent Kabbalah, and they didn't, uh, you know, invent what we would call Hasidish Torah, like Rimazim and Said. They just took to it. And we call it now Hasidish Torah, but it was th- that type of learning, or, or, or Jerush, or Agada, however you want to call it, was around long before them. Reb Shimshin Mastropoli was, you know, from the Tachvitat era, and he, 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 his derech is like that also, you know, pre-Hasidus. So, so the, the Hafla, um, for sure, his learning and his anhagas were along those lines. But that doesn't, at that time, that for sure didn't make someone Hasidish. Um, the Hasidim, they, 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 there's a lot of articles and marachas to, to prove that the hafla was Hasidish. There's a certain push and drive um, to, to prove that. I, I don't know if it's because, you know... According to the non-Hasidim, they say he wasn't, and they have to prove that he was. But this is for sure, and if you read through different Taldais, they very much focus on the proving of it, that he was for sure Hasidish in the Talmud of the Magad of Mezrich. Now, they all agree once he came to Frankfurt, as we'll see, he didn't do anything really publicly Hasidish. Um, in fact, the Chassam Seifer writes, in the Chassam Seifer, who the Hasidim also 
think that he was Hasidish, which he for sure wasn't. He's a famous tshuva to the Ismach Moshe about changing from Nusach Ashkenaz to Nusach Svard, and Chassam Seifer was adamantly against it. You have to daven Ashkenaz. And he even writes, even my Rebbe the Hafla and my Rebbe of Nasan Adler, who personally daven Nusach Svard, but their own private minyanim daven Ashkenaz. They themselves, even their minyan didn't daven Svard. So, you know, so there's there's this there's this uh, confusion about it. Uh, on, on, on the other hand, also nowhere in his sefer Panim Yafais does he quote the Magid of Mezrich. If he was his rebbe, why does he never quote him? That's a question. Um, others say others say that um, the Chassidim seem to say that the printer or maybe even his son omitted all of those because they didn't want him to to have leanings towards Chassidus. Um, on the third hand, I saw someone who said that he that he uh, he saw the actual manuscript of the Padmi office and nothing was left out. So we'll leave it at that. There's a lot of confusion if he actually was a Talmud of the Magid of Mezrich or not. There are Hasidish Amaisas that have him as a personality there. But again, Hasidish Amaisas details aren't always so exact. Personalities aren't always so exact. And remember, his brother was for sure there, the Rebbe of Shemalka. So that's how there might be confusion. You know, I'm not paskening this Shaila, but there is that um, that uh, argument, confusion about exactly was he from the Talmudim of the Magid or not. Now, before he became a Rav in Frankfurt, which will be his big Rabbanus, as we'll see, at that time in history, one second, let me just get rid of those things. Okay, I'm sorry about that. Um, at that time in history, there was a very big, um, in the Torah rabb- rabbinic scene, there was a very, very big, big story called the get, the divorce of Cleves, a city called Cleves, C-L-E-V-E-S. Um, and that's, you know, a story unto itself. If you want to Google search it, you can find a lot of history about this story. But the basic idea was that there was a, a fellow who, gave, who got married, he was doing some funny things, and then he got married, and um, two weeks later they, he wanted to run away, and they found him in a barn, and, and basically he said he wanted to get divorced. And um, he ended up getting divorced in the city called Cleves. And he gave the get. And his parents didn't know about it. His, his wife and his in-laws, they knew about it. Um, they were part of it. But um, his parents didn't know about it. And he was supposed to run away to England afterwards. And then his parents came up with a thing that he was not mentally stable. And therefore the get, the divorce, is not a good get. If a shaita, someone who's not mentally stable, gives a get, um, it's invalid. The the rav who was the um, the rav who was the the one who did the get he said there was it was everything was stable about him and this made a very big mavucha this made a very big uh, machlokes because the Frankfurt Besdin who was led at that time by the rav Rabbi Ram Abish Zechrayin Levracha he invalidated the get and a lot of gedolim got involved and the Naidi Behuda got involved and the Shagasarye they all wrote chuvas that it was a good get. And the, for some reason, the Frankfurt Besden dug in its heels and refused to retract. The Naidi Behuda even spoke in public against the Besden that they have to retract. And, and, and it's, it's a gaiva not to retract. It was a big, big parsha. Um, Rabbi Avram Abish ended up being Nifter not long after that. And that's why Frankfurt was looking for a new, a new uh, Rav. Now, the Hafla had written a tshuva validating the get. 
However, as he finished writing the tshuva, again, here is a little bit of a chesid um, the inkwell that he was using spilled over his tshuva and ruined it. And he said to himself, why should I rewrite it? So many bigger gedolim have already written tshuvas, I won't rewrite it. And that was all hashkacha pratis. Why was it hashkacha pratis? Because the Frankfurt Besden had been so... Um, affected by this whole story that they had decided, or the Kehila had decided, that anyone who had been involved in the get of Cleves, no matter which side you were on, they're not going to take as the next Rav. So if he had written a Tshuva, the Hafla, about it, he, they wouldn't have taken him as a Rav. But since the Tshuva got ruined, and he didn't rewrite it, so they took him as the Rav in 1772. He became a Rav in Frankfurt. Frankfurt was an Ir Ve'em Yisrael, had been um, Jews had been there for hundreds and hundreds of years, um, and um, he became the Rav. In his first Jerasha in Shul, in Frankfurt, he said a vart that is brought down in his Sefer Hafla, about, it's based on the Psukim and Tehillim, Yarde Hayam Baniyais, over there, talks about people who, who sail the seas and they do their work, Bimaim Rabim, and they. Uh, and they recognize Hashem there, and then a wind comes and picks them up. This psukim in, in, in Tehillim, Kapitul Kovzayin. And he explained them to mean that it's referring to Talmidei Chachamim, who delve into the Sea of Torah, and they see the Chachma of Hashem in his Torah, and they see the Niflois, the wonders of Torah, and they're like awed by it. But then Vayomer, and then when this Talmud Chacham gets up to speak Barabim, he gets up to speak publicly, and now he gets a little bit of pride in saying the Torah, so he learns that the Pasuk says, Vayamay Ruach Sahara, all of a sudden a stormy wind comes, that refers to the Sahara and picks him up, and brings, makes, gives him thoughts of gaiva, of haughtiness. Um... And um, at that point, the Pasuk says, they cry out to Hashem and they dive into Hashem. So he translates this to mean that when a person learns Taira, and then he goes out and he gets covered because he's speaking, and he enjoys the Taira, the Yetzirah comes and tries to give him thoughts of Gaiva, he has to actually dive into Hashem, that it shouldn't affect him. And there was actually, he used to, because of this, Tafla actually used to speak with his eyes closed. He didn't want to see anybody enjoying his Torah or being happy with his Torah. He would sit there in awe, trembling almost, not moving, not cracking a smile. But he didn't want to see anyone else enjoying it, lest he have any thoughts of Gaiva. And there was one time, Taka, that he felt in the middle of his drasha that perhaps he felt a little too good about the Torah he was saying. So he turned around, he opened the Aran Kaidish, and he put his head into the Aran Kaidish, and he started to cry, and he said these psukim that we just mentioned before from Tehillim, and, um, you know, davening to Hashem that the Yetzirah, trying to get him to have thoughts of Gaiva, should not affect him. And the Kleisenberger Rabbi Zechariah Lebracha says, if you learn the Sefer Afla, which is long, long, long marachas and pieces, he says, the Kleisenberger Rabbi says, why was he Zeicha? That everything he should say when you, when you, you know, write such long essays of Torah, that everything should be what we call glat, smooth, on the right track, yashar. The reason is because since the Afla worked and toiled, that he should not have any personal pleasure or benefit from while he's saying his chidushim and he should not have any thoughts of gaiva because he works so hard 
That's why his Torah was so glatt, it was so smooth and so clear. Now, in those days, the Rav also had a yeshiva, and the Afla had a yeshiva, and Reb Chaim Brim writes that to be accepted into the yeshiva of the Afla, so there were certain conditions, you had to, you know, toe the line. And the main thing was that you had to learn 18 hours a day. Learning was 18 hours a day. Be a gia, with toil. The other six hours were for davening, for eating, and for sleeping. And he would tell the Bachram, when you daven, so you have to daven well. When you come to sleep, you don't sleep on a bed, or a bed that's made. You learn until you can't move anymore, and you just drop from, from, from exhaustion. They once found the Bachram lying on the floor with a pillow, and the Afla told him if he had enough kayak to grab the pillow, you should have learned a little bit more. So this was very intense yeshiva. And, uh, you know, that's the way that, um, that was the darkish al Taira in the, in the, uh, in the Hafla's yeshiva. Um, That was the that was the Darkash al Now, one of his famous Talmidim, the Aflah's famous Talmud was the Chassam Seifer. The Chassam Seifer was um, grew up in Frankfurt. Actually, his mother, the Chassam Seifer's mother, is buried in the same cemetery as the Aflah. And um, and um, the uh, Chassam Seifer was a Talmud of Nosson Adler, who was also buried right next to the Aflah, near the Aflah. And he was a Talmud of the Hafla, who was the Rav of the city that he grew up in. And, um, in fact, it's interesting that the Chassam Seifer used to, he wrote somewhere, or he, 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 he uh, recounted, the Hafla, as we said, was a Levi. His other Rebbe, Reb Nassim Adler, was a Kayan. And um, when it came time for Duchening, the way it worked was that, since the Hafla was the Rav, the Rav stayed in his place at the front of the Shul. Reb Nassim Adler, the Kayin, would walk over to the front of the shul to the Rav, and prepared there was a golden pitcher and a golden basin with water, and the Hafla would pour the water on the hands of Reb Nassim Adler, the Kayin. In other words, they didn't go out to the outside to wash their hands. Since he was the Rav, he, the Kayin went up to the Rav, and Reb Nassim Adler was a, a giant in his, own, in his own right as well, but... Um, he went up to him and he poured him. He poured the water on the the hafla. Poured the water for uh, washing for for duchening on the on Reb Nassim Adler's hands. That's how that's how they used to do it there in uh, Frankfurt. Now, what about his svarim? He's called the hafla, but really the hafla was a general name for all three of his svarim. And he writes into the the preface of the Sefer Hafla that it's a shame koilel, it's a general name for all of his chidushe halachis, all of his chidushim in halacha or in, in gemara, ve'agadis, and also his agada, his his Torah, um, and 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 Torah, and chamishachum uh, she and so they're all called Sefer Hafla. Now, why are they called Sefer Afla? So he gives numerous reasons in the preface. One is, it comes from the word Ishkiyafli. It says in Parshas Nasai, when a person becomes a Nazir, the word of the Torah is Kiyafli. Rashi says it's a lotion of Pirush Ubirur. It's a lotion of clarity. He enunciates something with clarity. 
So he says, my whole kavana, my whole intention of, of writing Svarim is levarer ulefarish divre chazal, is to clarify the words of Chazal, and and that's what I toiled in all day. So he named it Hafla because of Alshem Ishkiyafli, that it's a clarification of the Torah of Chazal. He says it also is a, um, um, it's also a Zikarain to the Chachamim Harishainim. Asher nemar b'silukan hafla. It says when tamid chachamim are nifter. The pasuk tells us in navi hafle vafela. It's a lotion of a pella of a wonder. So it has a a zikarin to the rishaynim, those who uh, came before us, who when they are nifter, it's called hafla. It says also a zikarin to the base hamigdash. He writes because from there Torah went out. Shenemer bagamkein hafla. That also says about Torah hafla vafela. It also has a zikarin to the name of his father, his shevet, and his mishpacha. And I didn't go through this, but there's a lot of gematrias there. If you take sefer hafla with the letters with the kailel, it comes to his father's name, Svi Halevi Horowitz. And also hafla stands for it's the Rashi Tevis of. He is Hakatan, Pei is Pinchas, Laman is Levi, Aleph is Ish, and He is Horowitz. So it has a remist his own name. So these are various reasons why he called all of his Svarim under the general title of Hafla. Now then, each Sefer has its own name. The one on Ksubis, which is what we actually call the Hafla, like I'm saying, it's really a, 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 a not not a hundred percent accurate. The one on Ksubis is called Sefer Ksuba, and in the Hakdama to that, he writes also there's Ramazim in the name Sefer Ksuba to his family with other gematrias and stuff like that. That was his first Sefer. The Sefer he calls it Chelak Harishain. The first Chelak of my Sefer Hafla is called Sefer Ksuba. Now he writes over there that I didn't take any Haskamas. I didn't take any Haskamas. Now, why didn't you take any askamas? You have to realize what askama really was. Nowadays, askama is you go to a, a rav or a shashiva and he looks through the sefer and he says, you know, I saw the sefer and everything looks good. In the olden days, the askama was the copyright. You took it to a gadol and he wrote that this is, you know, I know who this is. And anyone, no one's allowed to reprint the sefer without permission for however many years or forever. So Askama was a copyright in those days. So he writes, I didn't want to be Matriach, I didn't want to bother the Ga'inim and the G'daylim in our land to have to go through my Sefer. So he says, but I'm going to write my own Askama. So basically he wrote his own copyright that no one's allowed to do anything. After he was Nifter, there are Haskamas in there from the G'dayli Hadar, the Yeshua Siyakov, Rebesiv Shalnatanzin, the, the uh, Shalomeshiv, but he himself writes that I didn't want to bother anyone with Haskamas, so therefore I'm just making a copyright, no one's allowed to reprint the Sefer. The second Sefer, which we call Sefer Hamakna, also incorrect way of calling it, but it, he calls it the Chela Kasheni of Sefer Hafla, the second volume of Sefer Hafla, is called Sefer Hamakna. Sefer HaMakna is on Kiddushim. I once had a, a Rebbe when I was younger, a private Rebbe, he was my father's Rebbe too, Rav Zanitsky, Zechariah Levracha, well-known figure here in Cleveland, was Nushas Balpet, Tanakh, backwards and forwards, very big medaktek and diktuk, and he, I came back from Yeshiva, and he asked me what I'm learning, Kiddushim, so he says, what are the Svarim? So I said, the Makna. He says, no such Sefer. I said, what do you mean, I have one. No such Sefer. 
So he p- opens up the, the, the uh, title page and he says, look, he named it after a pasuk that says, Vo'ekach sefer ha-mikna. And I took the sefer of acquisition. Ha-mikna. So the sefer is really sefer ha-mikna. But you know, in the yeshivish world, they call it the sefer ha-makna. That's what it's called. And also, like I said, he has gematrias and ramazim. And the third chalik, which is on the Torah, it's called Panim Yafis Ala Torah. If you look at the title page, it writes, it's the third chalik of Sefer Hafla, and it's called Panim Yafis. He started putting together that Sefer, the one Ala Torah, when he was older. He only got up to Parshas Chayisara before he was Nifter. And then his son, who was the next Rav in Frankfurt, buried right next to him, um, put out the rest of the Sefer. Like I said before, some people said he left out the things from the Maggot of Mezrich, but perhaps that might not be true. Um, now, um, he, um, while Besaif Yamov, um, as he was you know, putting together the Panam Yafais, he actually lost vision in one eye. And um, the doctors told him that they could do surgery on, or it was very weak vision at least, they could do weak, they could do surgery on his weak eye, and that will make it that he'll be able to see with both eyes well. And he says that, um, I'll tell you the truth, he says, I'm not really interested in seeing the world. So I don't need two eyes. I only need to see Tyra. For Tyra, one eye is good enough. And that's it, he didn't want to go through the surgery. Now, he called on himself, that when it got dark, it got light. And the Chassam Seifer, I think, writes about this as well. And that is that when he lost some of his vision, he held that his seichel and his learning, his intellect, became so much stronger. And he said, because all the senses are really have their source in the brain. And if one sense doesn't work anymore, so the power for that sense remains in the brain, and it makes the brain work even better. The R, that light, that whatever it is, remains in the brain. It's mechazek kayach haseichel. So in his end of his life, when he lost his vision, he felt that his, 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 his intellect um, became even stronger and greater. Um, now, he was, he was, he was a, a master in Agadah. And that is what Panam Yafis is about. And in fact, the Chassam Seifer, it's interesting, Chassam Seifer in the preface to the Panam Yafis writes that this Sefer is the greatest of all of the Svarim of the Hafla. Which I think um, Rav Nassim Gestetner um, writes in his Chuvas, he says it's an unbelievable thing because here he has a Sefer on Mesechta Ksubis and Hilchas Ksubis, a Sefer on Mesechta Kedushin and Hilchas Kedushin, and you're telling me the Sefer on Chumash is Oilal Kulan was greater than all of them? The Sefer that's like Jerush and Agada is greater than them all? But that's what the Chsam Sefer writes. And um, in fact, the Chsam Sefer himself, when he wanted to become the Rav in Matisdarf, I think it was, in those days in uh, Moravia, the um, the the only way to become a rav is you had to go get like a license from the chief rabbi. The chief rabbi w- lived in Nicholsburg. If you ever look at the rabbanim of Nicholsburg, they always write rav of Nicholsburg, v'rav harashi shel marin or something like that. And they always write that. So yeah, because he had to go get it was instituted by the uh, by the by the uh, by the king of the, at the time, and. Um, or the Caesar, or whatever he was, whoever was at that time. So Ramad Chabanet was the Rav at the time, and the Chassam Seifer came to get Rishus to become a Rav, and he asked him, are you a Balagada? In other words, I know you know a lot of Halacha, but you are, a ba- are you a Balagada? So he answered him, he said, how is it Shaykh, how is it possible to be a Talmud of the Hafla 
and not have a hand in Jerush and in Agadah. So you see, as great as the Hafla was, the Chassam Seifer um, very much was highlighting highlighting the uh, Agadah. And in fact, the the Hafla himself in Sefer, in Sefer Hafla and Ksubis and in Sefer Amakna and Kedushin has a psicha. He has like a, a, a preface to it, an introduction to it, which is actually, I don't want to say Jerush, but it's more like Hashkafa. It's more Yesidus in Agadah. And it, he, he has it broken up into 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 uh, into le, into icy ice, into into paragraphs. It's possible before each cheer he would say something, you know, some type of ashkafa or some type of agada beforehand, and that's the way it made it in. So he was a master. He was a master of both. Um, and, and towards the end of his life, um, in the in the late seventeen hundreds. Um, is when the Haskalah started making its big uh, movement in the world, and Mendelssohn came out with his Chumash. And um, in the beginning, many say that the Mendelssohn translation of the Chumash wasn't so bad, there wasn't so many, you know, it wasn't so bad, but the Gedalim were able to see where it was going to lead. But the Afla saw it, and one thing that bothered him in, very much, and he saw where it was going to go, was on the words, You have to give rebuke. Uh, Mendelssohn writes, it's only for things interpersonal and Afla realized that that might break down the whole Rabbanis and the whole concept of giving Musr and Teichacha and, and uh, he, 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 he got the whole Frankfurt community together into the Shul Erev Rashchidish Tammuz um, in Tovkuf Membeis and 1782 I guess it is and he um, he said a drasha that you can't go, you can't go against, you can't go with that. He put it in Cherem. They, they tried to make a a school in Frankfurt, the Maskilim, and he put them in Cherem as well. And uh, he was nifter in the year he was nifter in the year 1805. And like I said, buried in the old cemetery in in Frankfurt. Um, he's right behind the Pnei Yeshua. Um, diagonally behind Reb Nosson Adler and next to his to his son. Just quickly to end, say a couple of Avertlach divrei from him. He said that interesting thing. He says that if you find as many Sfarim and Chumish that they have a lot of divrei Torah on the beginning of every parsha, but as you get into the parsha, they have less and less. So the Hafla wrote an unbelievable. He said an unbelievable thing. He says, in those days, children, when they learned Chumash, most time they learned the Parsha Sashavua. So they would just learn the beginnings of each Parsha. So he says, the children who learned Taira Lishma, they learned only the beginning of the Parshiyas, but because they learned that, it was Mashpia, they put into such, into those Psukim, such a Tahara, that throughout the world, Chidushe Taira were able to be composed on those Psukim. But later on, through the Parshiyas, where the children didn't learn as much, so therefore the potential for Chidushe Taira was much less. That's what the Afla says, a very interesting vart. Um, a second thing from the Afla is based on the Mishnah Mesech Da'avish, Shonu Chachamim Beloshen HaMishnah. The last parak, which is a brice, it says, the Chachamim Toat Beloshen HaMishnah in the terminology of the Mishnah. So the Hafla would say like this, he would say that when a person learns something and he mentions the name of the person who said it, the name of the Tana or of the Amira, he says you connect on a spiritual level with that Tana or that Amira. A name is the Chios, it's the life of someone. 
It says, why when someone's sleeping and you scream his name, does he wake up? Because his neshama hears his name. The name is a connection to the neshama, said the Hafla. So when you say over a, 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 a Maimer Chazal, and you say the name of the Tana, you have made a connection with the Neshama of that Tana. And because you made that connection, you're able to understand his Torah even more. And that's why I explain why you see throughout Shas, we always, the Gemara is always saying the names, and sometimes you can have this one said in the name of that one, in the name of that one, because there's con- this connection. So he writes, that's what it means. Shanu Chachamim B'Lashon HaMishnah. The Chachamim would learn in the Lashon HaMishnah, which means to say, Shanu Chachamim. They learned the names of the Chachamim in the Lashon HaMishnah. When they said a Mishnah, they would say, Rebbe Lezer Aymer, Rebbe Shimon Aymer. They would say the names. Why? Because Baruch Shebachar Bohem, Baruch that they chose them, meaning to say, we now have connected with those Tanaim, Umishnasam, and now we're able to understand their Torah even more. That's how he learned Pshad in the Mishnah. And the last thing we'll end off from the Hafla is we say in Benching at the end of the, of the fourth bracha, um, we say, So he would learn the Sayak, we ask the Baruch Hu for all the things. We want all the good things in the world. However, even though we want everything in Olam Hazer, but from the Kaltuv, from the good of Olam Haba, we ask Hashem, we don't want to use up our schar. So we're asking Hashem to help us out in Olam Hazer from Kaltuv with all the good. But but from the real good, from the good of Olam Haba, we ask Hashem that we should not be lacking anything. This is the life of the Hafla, one of our G'daylim, that we learn his Torah, we celebrate his Torah, and Bez Hashem, as I said, tomorrow is 215th yard site. Schusa Yogin Aleinu Valkal Yisrael. We should be Zaycha that he should be a Melitzayisha for Kla Yisrael. And we should be Zaycha to see only Yeshuas in Kla Yisrael in the world at large. And Bez Hashem, we should be Zaycha to see Mashiach Tzidkainu Bimheirav Yameinu Amen. Have a wonderful day. Thank you very much. I just dropped the record on this. Oh, yeah, I saw you did.